Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, the greatest tag team wrestler of all time, Bully Ray and I sit down and talk to Camille of NWA Power in her first ever interview as being a part of of the nwa amazing interview you're definitely going to want to hear it plus bully teaches us about the buckle bomb the move that is a very controversial hot topic right now we'll get into that also we talked to tommy dreamer about rebellion from impact wrestling last night and the dino bravo dark side of the ring all that right now on the busted open podcast in her debut match Camille gets the win over Maddie Max, and we thought we were going to see her speak at the podium with Joe Galli. Did not happen, Bully, but we saw an amazing video piece, which she narrated. And I got to be honest with you, Bully, it is an absolute pleasure to have on. I would say a first time, but it hasn't because we had her at our 10-year anniversary party, though she didn't speak much, Bully. Hopefully today will be different after her debut win I bring you Camille. Camille, how are you this morning? Camille. I'm just messing with you. I just wanted to make you feel really uncomfortable for a second there. You see, if you would have done the whole interview like that, I would have been real proud of you for keeping the gimmick strong. That was very good. Bravo, young lady. Bravo. I wouldn't want to talk to him either first thing in the morning. I've had my coffee. I'm good. Okay, Camille, big win for you yesterday in your debut match. You had the steamroller into the spear. How did it feel to get that first win under your belt? Uh, the first win felt good. Honestly, just having my first match in front of those uh, fans felt good, in front of the audience, feeling their energy. Uh, when it when it was done, I was just happy that was out of the way and happy that I can finally kind of get that chip off my shoulder and show the world, hey, I'm not just standing here like I can do stuff in the ring too. Let me ask you this. Uh, I'm going to try to speed up everybody on your timeline real quick because you just said that you were happy after your match. You started training to be a pro wrestler uh, probably five, six, seven years ago. You were doing really well. Then you took uh, a break. You went into the Women's mm -hmm. Football League. You tried to get your wrestling career back up and running again. It didn't work out. You kind of, you kind of, you know, uh, were walking away from wrestling. You get back involved. You, you you said that you wanted to do this again, and you were there. And then I remember talking to you, and you were like, I think I want to do it. I'm not sure. You didn't seem fully committed. Last night, or whenever that was taped, once that match was over, and you're standing there, and you're listening to the fans, and you realize that you really, really can do this, did you have that sense of pride? Were you truly happy that you stepped back into the world of pro wrestling? Honestly, I got that sense of pride when Billy announced me as a special attraction match. That might sound weird, but it made it made me really happy to know that, you know, my boss put that much stake into me and wanted me to be the special attraction and bring a lot of eyes to the NWA and that's what made me most proud that he knows that I have the ability to do that. So are you are are you still do you still feel that same feeling? Do you now know in your heart that pro wrestling is truly the thing for you? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I knew that when I got back with the with NWA. Um, I just wasn't sure on on what level I would do it at because, like, when I talked to you about that about it that one time, I was saying I'm really interested in, in the creative part and kind of the behind the scenes stuff, which might surprise people, but that that sort of stuff does interest me. So I was almost kind of looking into that. But then when I got back into it and I was around Nick and just hearing him put together matches and when I was like around that environment, that's what kind of brought me back into it. And then finally getting to step into the ring for myself. I mean, that was just the icing on the cake and kind of the explanation point to, yes, this is for me. You know, Camille, you know, I was I reached out to get you on today because, first of all, having that debut match, getting that win, the wonderful story that you've been telling on NWA Power each and every Tuesday. Why did you finally, you know, decide to come on Busted Open today? Why, why did you finally decide now this is the perfect time for me to speak out? I felt like it was the perfect time because, I mean, it was almost two years that I was silent. And it was funny to everybody that knows me really well because they're like, you know, you don't shut up. <laughs> so this was the this was the time to kind of finally show my personality a little bit more and show people that I'm not just standing there. My favorite thing was, oh, you're getting paid to stand there. And my rebuttal to that is, okay, well, you get over just standing there. You know, you try to do what I'm doing and get people talking about you. So the fact that I could do it silent and now I get to talk, I mean, it makes me happy that I'm having the ability to finally be able to show people kind of another side of me. Do you think speaking for the first time last night in a in a vignette, in a video package, was the payoff that you were looking for? Or do you think fans would have been a lot more happy to see you speaking in the middle of the ring? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I actually, I thought initially, I was like, ah, I would have loved to have that first speaking moment in the middle of the ring with the feedback from the live audience. I did think that at first, but after the reaction last night and the feedback that I've gotten, I, I love how it came out. Uh, me and Dave Lagana worked together on that. I came up with the promo on my own, what I wanted to say, how I wanted to get my story across, and the way he edited it and produced it, I mean, I think that was just magic. So I'm actually very happy that we did it the way we did. You know, I think uh, everyone would agree that when you stepped away from Joe and when he tried to interview, because you did make the promise you were going to speak, I think a lot of people were disappointed. But you hit the nail right on the head. And, Bully, you and I have talked about this a lot when it comes to Dave Lagana. He is so good at those production pieces. And I think he did a wonderful job in just a couple of minutes explaining your story better than anybody else could. And what better way than have you narrate that? I, I'm sure that you're very, very happy. And when you look at the future, and, and listen, there is a lot of doubt with everything that's going on in the world, but I would have to feel after watching that production piece that you're very confident creatively of what the next steps are going to be for your character. I'm very confident in it. I'm excited, like I said, that people get to see that other side of me and that I can bring up the intensity now. That <laughs> That is something that was kind of hard for me when I used to wrestle on the indies. I was very vocal. I like to talk crap to the audience. And kind of having that first match and having to hold back a little bit on that was was different for me. So I'm excited that now I can just go full tilt and, and do my thing. Tell me what you enjoy most about working for the NWA. What I enjoy most about working for the NWA is that my bosses, I mean, Billy is a big time rock star, <laughs> yet I can talk to him as a peer almost. I can talk to him as a human being without having to walk on eggshells. I mean, I trained at your school of a uh, bully and I'm, I'm outspoken. I have opinions and I don't want to feel like I have to walk on eggshells to be able to express those opinions. So I'm happy that with Dave Lagana and Billy, I can talk to them as, as people and feel like I'm heard. So that, that's my ultimate favorite part. I'm not just a number there. Do you feel like your training toughened you up for the real world of pro wrestling? I definitely think, and I think after going to other wrestling schools just to kind of get the ring rust off and see how they do things, I will say that uh, Team 3D gets you ready for the wrestling world with the training with uh, Dan Carr, his Emmys. I mean, they, once, you, once you go there, you'll, you'll be good. I'm sure. Um, so, so for you right now, with, with you doing this interview, with you speaking out, and 
really, I want to get into what you said in that video because you talked about like you know greatness. With greatness comes jealousy. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. you know I know it's character driven, but there's a lot of truth behind a lot of what you said. It seems that the better oh, you yeah, are, oh yeah, no, that wasn't that, char- that wasn't character at all. <laughs> that that was that was how I grew up. I was very. I've always been kind of a laid back person. I just kind of go go with the flow. I work hard when it comes to technique and and getting you know working hard at things. But when it comes to life, I like to be laid back. I'm chill. And so when I kind of started experiencing success at a young age, I realized you know even if the girls on my team would like me, their parents would be talking crap about me, or the girls would like me. I saw, and then I would find out they were talking crap about me, or they hated me for a certain reason, and. You know, that was a hard pill to swallow when you're young, but I just got used to it as I've gotten older. And, and I wanted to tell that story, too, if that's why I've been, been silent and kind of standoffish when it comes to people, because I don't trust people when it comes to that. So you said a few things to start off that video. You mentioned cocky. You mentioned unapproachable. You even said bitch. So are those mm-hmm. things that are, are those words, you know, people use to describe you in the past? Yeah, I've had plenty of people when they finally get to know me, they're like, I tell you, just I thought that you were going to be a bitch before I met you. Because I've also had people tell me that, you know, they thought I was stuck up or cocky just just standing there. And I'm like, I'm just standing here. I haven't done anything. The way I walk into a room, I have a funny walk. I was born that way. I can't help, you know, I can't help that it has a little swag with it or whatever you want to think. So, yes, that's something that I've always kind of experienced. And I'm used to, but I also know that if people take a minute to get to know me, that that will most likely change. So I'm not too worried about it. Camille, I just got a text message from Mark Henry, and he wanted me to (laughs) tell you that he absolutely loves you. And do you like chocolate? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I like all kinds of chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate. I like sweet Just, just pass it along the message. <laughs> Take that any way you want. <laughs> um, so, so Camille, for you, what's next? I mean, you know, you you have Thunder Rosa as your NWA Women's Champion. You know, there's a lot, a laundry list of contenders: Tasha Steeles, mm-hmm. Allison K. So, what's next for Camille in the NWA? Like you said, we have a laundry list of people. I can't wait to go against people like Tasha Steele, Ashley Vox, Allison Kay. A lot of people right now, they're saying, you know, Thunder Rosa, because, just because she has the, the title. Uh, I am excited for that at some point, and I think that's going to be a big-time money matchup. But I'm excited to just keep getting my feet wet, keep getting eyes on the product, and showing people what I can do. You have impressive size. You're, you have an impressive stature because you keep your shoulders rolled back, and that's, that, that's what gives you that aura when you walk in the room. You obviously have a tremendous athletic ability, which I have known about for years. So would you like to just stay in the women's division, or do you think wrestling men is something that you'd like to do in the future? Personally, I'm not into the whole wrestling men thing. I think a lot of people do that because they they want to show I'm big and bad and, you know, equality, which, hey, if that's what you want to do, all four, I think those matches can be done in a very, very good way. But for me, I don't think that I need to do that to show I'm a dominant force. Um, So I'm just going to keep it in the women's division. (laughs) Great answer. And also, too, why? I mean, you have Nick Aldis as your NWA champion, and one day you hold in that mm-hmm. other championship. That just makes that faction that much stronger. So there's really no reason for you to go after that NWA championship. Yeah, I'm going to let Nick keep that, and then I'm going to bring some more, some more gold to the faction. <laughs> Camille, thank you so much. I'm glad you broke your silence. I'm glad you decided to come on the show today. And awesome job last night on NWA Power. Look forward to seeing you each and every Tuesday at 6.05 for NWA Power. Camille, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Camille, Bully, it it was really – it kind of threw you off, and you you smiled. But I was nervous when we first went to Camille, and there was dead silence because – you know, you never. I really didn't know what to expect when we had her on the phone today. 
She was keeping the gimmick strong just long enough that she had the hook in your mouth, reeled you in the boat, then she looked at you and she let you go. And you know what? I, I loved what she said about that video package because she said what was said in that video package is 100% true because she talked about her teammates being jealous, the parents of her teammates being jealous. So, you know, when you're an amazing athlete, and make no mistake about it, Camille is an amazing athlete. You are going to get that jealousy. We always talk about it. Mark Henry has preached about it for years is that, that greatness hate. And I think with Camille, she's experiencing now some of that greatness hate. I really liked her answer on not wanting to wrestle in the men's division because I think it is a brutally honest answer that a lot of females in the wrestling industry wouldn't have the guts to say. And I think it shows that she's not a mark for herself. I don't have to wrestle men to prove myself or prove that I'm bigger or better or rougher or tougher and stronger, especially in the world of sports entertainment where we know that we're all getting each other over. So if anybody could wrestle a guy, look at some of the women in the business. We have our Charlottes. We have our, um, our Lacey Evans. We have our Camilles. We have our Maria Mannix. All women with really impressive stature who kind of stand out against all of the other women in the, uh, in the, in the industry just because of their size, right? Yep. Camille's saying, you know what? I want to hang out. I'm a woman. I want to wrestle in the women's division, and I don't need to placate to my own ego by wrestling men. I applaud her for her honesty. And that's the thing. That was an honest answer, and that's all you can ask for. The Yakin Barak Show is your home for daily boxing coverage, but also brings you the biggest names in pop culture and entertainment. My pleasure to introduce CeeLo Green. Tune in to SiriusXM Fight Nation this Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for an A-list extravaganza featuring top comedians, actors, musicians, and more. We got the opportunity right now to have on the line Cheesy. The Yakin Barak A-list special airs only on your home for boxing, culture, and lifestyle. SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Listen at home with Amazon on Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. I know you tweeted out uh, late yesterday about the buckle bomb, and it's something that you wanted to talk about, and I know that's been a big hot topic on social media. So, Bully, what did you want to preach to the Busted Open Nation today? It seems like the buckle bomb is one of these moves that um, strikes a nerve with a lot of wrestling fans in one way, shape, or form. Uh, I took to social media to discuss the buckle bomb and immediately people are assuming that I want to talk about any one particular individual. And that's not the case. I want to talk about the move, the buckle bomb. I want to give you my opinion on it and I want to give you some facts behind it. And I want to educate people to the move so they understand what's going on. And maybe this will stop people from pointing the finger of blame so much at anybody who does the move or takes the move. Because at the end of the day, those two people in the ring who are executing the move, no matter who they are, have agreed to do the move. And once you agree to do the move, you understand that anything could go wrong at any given time on any move. A hip toss, an arm drag, a side headlock takeover, or a buckle bomb. I gave you some very simple moves, and I gave you a move that is actually not so simple to take. So here's where we're going to go first. When you become a pro wrestler, you have to train your body to do certain things. And one of the things you have to train it to do is to not instinctually protect itself. Dave, if I was to... Take my fist and swing at your head. Immediately, instinctually, your hands would pop up and your head would turn to avoid the punch. Is that correct? Yes. You don't need to be a fighter, a boxer, or anything. That's just human instinct based on a fight or flight reaction. Your head will flight and your fists will fight. Boom, it's automatic. It happens in a split nanosecond. So because your body reacts... In wrestling, you have to teach it not to react in order to retrain yourself how to react the appropriate way. 
You have to teach your body how to fall. Like if somebody just tells you to fall down, you're not just gonna take a back bump. You're gonna fall down in a wonky way in which your body instinctually would wanna protect itself. There are certain things you cannot do to the human body because it will always protect itself. Like you can't drown yourself. I mean, yeah, you could tie a cinder block to your ankle and throw it overboard and you'll be drowned because your body will be hanging down. But you can't drown yourself because the body will instinctually fight that and will go into survival mode immediately. So when you become a pro wrestler, you have to learn how to fall. You need to learn how to fall on your back. You need to learn how to fall on, on the front. You know, on your stomach, we have back bumps and we have front bumps. So you have to kind of retrain your brain to not protect itself in the instinctual way that it wants to protect itself. Are you with me so far? Yes, 100%. Years and years and years and years of doing this. And you're taught when you take a back bump that you want to tuck your chin to your chest because that's going to strengthen your neck muscles so that no matter if you're just taking a regular back bump or, or a high back bump, that your neck muscles will become strong enough so you can tuck your chin so you're not constantly whiplashing your neck and bouncing the back of your head off of the mat, which I believe probably causes more minor concussions than a chair shot could. Because the skull is the hardest part of the body and will protect the brain. But if you're constantly taking back bumps, that brain is constantly slamming into the skull wall. Okay, so years and years of back bumps, years and years of front bumps, your body learns a certain timing to all of these bumps. You learn how to inhale and exhale through the bump. You learn how to take the bump in such a way where all of the energy is displaced across all of your body so it's not just one shoulder blade taking it or one side taking it. If you see Flair, how he bumps year after year, he's been bumping on his side because his body just compensated for an injury that he had in the plane crash. You want to teach your body to fall a certain way and it, now it becomes instinctual. Now you learn how to fall and it becomes second nature. So now you've taught your body how to properly do it and now it becomes the instinctual way of protecting yourself. So far so good? Muscle memory, yes. Um, great way to put it. Almost every back bump is the same. You want to end up in a perfect back bump situation. Almost every front bump is the same. You want to end up in a perfect front bump position. And you want to be able to protect yourself at all times. Obviously, as a person giving the move, you want to give it in a safe way. And a person taking the move, you always want to protect yourself. And there's a lot of ways to protect yourself. With the move, the buckle bomb, sometimes it's very difficult to protect yourself. I don't like the move, period, because I don't think that the reward is more than the risk. That's, that's the very first, it's too much of a whiplash type maneuver. I also don't like the buckle bomb, because let me ask you this, Dave, when was the last time you saw somebody win with that move? I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody win with that move. It's a move for the sake of doing a move that has entirely too much risk. And the risk is whiplash. Now, we've been taught to train our body the whole time, to stay in a certain position, to take a perfect bump. If you go back and you watch Seth Rollins' Finn Balor, when Seth throws Finn into the barricade, Go back and watch it a hundred times, because I sure have. Seth releases Finn perfectly. But because Finn probably hasn't been in that position nearly as many times as he's been in a regular back bump position or a front bump position, all of a sudden, the old school instincts of the body wanting to protect itself immediately kick in. And what does Finn do? He reaches for the barricade. And the minute you extend your hands and reach, that's where the injury came in. You try to take everything flush. If you watch it when it's done in the ring the right way, 
you re- you you never want to throw somebody into the buckle bomb. You want to kind of gently toss them up and float them into the buckle bomb. So in a perfect world, you can hit that top turnbuckle high on your back and able to drape your arms over the top ropes. So your back is hitting the turnbuckle and your arms are hitting the top ropes all at the same time, which is the exact same way to take a textbook back bump. Everything hits flush. Everything hits at the same time. I've seen enough buckle bombs go the right way. I've seen enough buckle bombs go the wrong way. I've seen the Seth Rollins sting buckle bomb. Nothing was done wrong. It's just that whiplash impact that we don't feel. So you take a guy like Sting who's been wrestling forever, and all of a sudden that whiplash effect from coming to that dead stop. Taking the buckle bomb is not the same as taking a turnbuckle. If you get whipped into the turnbuckle, it's all you. You could take it as soft, as hard as you want it. Watch Rob Van Dam take a turnbuckle. He takes it a little bit more gingerly than Bret Hart would ever take a turnbuckle. It's up to the person taking the turnbuckle. The buckle bomb, you have no choice. Whatever force and velocity you were released with is how you're going to hit. And you can and, and hitting the same way every single time is very difficult. So that's what I wanted to talk about. The safety of the move and how many things can go wrong. So, you know, what you're saying to me is that the, the risk is certainly not worth the reward because it's never a finisher. It's never the highlight of a match. And you've seen a lot go right, but you've seen probably enough to go wrong to make you doubt the fact that this should even be used, especially lately with some of the injuries that have occurred from it. I would take a chair shot to the head before I took a buckle bomb. Wow. This week on World of Basketball, Tony Ronzoni, the director of player personnel at the Dallas Mavericks, dropped by to discuss what it was like scouting a young Luka Doncic. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never encountered a kid at his age that had me, when I walked in the gym and I walked out as, this kid is special. I've never seen a kid with a swag and a no fear factor and a confidence level he had for a kid coming from a small country of Slovenia with two million people. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Pandora. Right now, it's my absolute pleasure to bring in another one of my tag team partners here on Busted Open. There's a lot to get into with this man. Rebellion night number one from Impact Wrestling last night, Dark Side of the Ring, and even get a take on what Bully was talking about in the first hour here on Busted Open. It is the innovator of violence, the landlord of the house of hardcore, the one and only Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, how are you this morning, man? Hi, everybody. How are you? <laughs> is that is that your Dino Bravo impression? You're flexing. You're, you've been on the show now for 30 seconds, and you're flexing already. That was actually my Dr. Nick Riviera from The Simpsons. Hi, everybody. Yeah, and I'm wearing a Dino Bravo shirt. I didn't have a Montreal Canadiens hat. I'm wearing a Quebec Nordiques hat. Wow, this Dino Bravo amazing. shirt gives me breasts, though. I love the fact, fully, that he's wearing... I think all the, the, I, I think all the Cheetos you ate the other night gave you breasts. That was Fritos. And it was a family-sized bag. I was depressed. <laughs> I love the fact... depressed for a while, then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Dave, yeah, talk to him. No, I was, I let's mean, talk about I, a murder, <laughs> <laughs> an assassination, assassination. Um, a lot to get in with you today, Tommy, because I mean, I don't know if you heard Bully talk about the buckle bomb, but before we dive into impact, before we dive in uh, to dark side of the ring, I mean, I thought Bully did an excellent job of describing the buckle bomb and how it goes against your muscle memory and Lately, it seems there's been a lot of high-profile injuries due to the buckle bomb. So what are your thoughts on that maneuver? Because I think Bully did an excellent job saying, in a match, Tommy, it's just another maneuver. You know, it's, is, is, it, is the risk worth the reward with the buckle bomb? 
Uh, no, basically my biggest thing with that too, is you're blind. Um, you have another person's body where you have to throw them. Normally you also have to throw them high. So they reach their point, but basically you have a person's torso in your vision. So you're just throwing somebody blind when, you know, if anybody knows about, uh, a power bomb, it is Bubba. And if you think about his super bomb, where Devon or myself will load somebody to it. A lot of times, you know, we got to specifically place somebody, put it through a table, whatever, and wear Bubba's eyes. And I know because I've helped do it with him. I'd be like, you got him or her. And he'd be like, yeah. And I'll be like, okay, go. I let go and he'll sit there and then he, he can't throw the person because he's basically blind. He's going from his memory of his sight where that table was and then where they have to put the person. Now, if you're doing a buckle bomb and how I saw what happened uh, to that woman uh, wrestling Nia Jax, Tari she, just threw, yeah, she just threw her. And I'm sure it was an accident. But yes, we have seen, uh, we've seen some horrendous uh, buckle bombs via... Uh, Twitter and, and memes where some dude went, you know, sailing over the top rope and just right to the floor. It, any move is going to give you a whiplash like maneuver. Um, but that one is just, and also the person you're going blind, even me where I've taken uh, a Mike awesome's power bomb. I've been thrown over the top rope. Uh, the awesome bomb through tables and I just had to rely on that. He's going to make me hit my target. Um, I've also seen poor Masato Tanaka get overshot, go miss the table, skip it, and go under the guardrail. But he could have hit his head on the uh, the guardrail. Uh, I've taken sit-out powerbombs from the apron to the floor in Japan. I've also taken them through tables. And I'm just trusting, and I only do it to people who are super-duper strong, but a sit-out powerbomb, if we used to do it all the time because it was a big move in Japan and I was just, they had thicker mats, it still hurt like a son of a bitch. But that whole rotation and stuff, dude, you have no clue on a regular powerbomb. But with this, you're basically just throwing a person blindly into a corner and you can't do anything blindly. Go ask a quarterback to throw a, a football to a wide receiver while closing his eyes or a baseball player, uh, you know, a pitcher to throw the ball while closing his eyes. It's just not done. And that's the same aspect when you're doing a buckle bomb. Wow. Dave, I mean, th Dave think of it this way. It, 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 the move looks, the move looks the way it does, but it needs to be executed very gently and gingerly. Think about if you were playing, um, uh, you know, playing softball with with your daughter, and she had never uh, swung a bat or hit a ball. You're going to underhand toss that softball real gently, and you're going to kind of float it into her so she can see it and have a good swing at it. Right? Yes. A successful buckle bomb is done very, very gingerly, and you float the person because you don't want that impact to be so jarring that the whiplash happens. If you go on, if you go on YouTube and you look at bubble, buckle bombs, when the move is floated, that's when you give yourself the best chance of it being executed correctly. But whiplash can happen at any given moment. That's why I say the risk on this move does not equal the reward and nobody wins with the freaking move it's a move just for the sake of doing a move when listen if two guys or two girls want to agree to do the move me and dreamer have done a lot of stupid shit that we agreed to do so if two people want to do the move go ahead and do the move but there are there is definitely a greater chance of something going wrong with a move like the buckle bomb than other things that seem oh so dangerous. Tommy, would you rather take a chair shot to the head or a buckle bomb? Hmm, neither, but I, I wouldn't take, I would not take a buckle bomb. I've never taken a buckle bomb and I won't take a buckle, a buckle bomb. Um, I won't take a chair shot to my head uh, unless it was dire, dire need. And I knew the person who was swinging it. Um, I took a lot of flack back in the day for one with Raven on hardcore justice. And 
I don't like to talk like this, but I never felt it. And my hands were handcuffed because Raven knew how to swing a chair. There was other times where we, we hit each other as hard as we could. Um, but I agree a hundred percent with Bubba where there's no giant payoff and you could throw somebody into a turnbuckle as hard and get the same reaction. Look how a Scott Steiner would hit those uh, turnbuckles and someone would raise up the feet, but he could probably do that the same way or a Bret Hart or think of how people hit the turnbuckles uh, super duper hard. And then you could just get freight trained by someone like Anaya Jackson, in the corner feet out and, you know, take a finish or whatever the hell the move is going to be. You know, you know, for me, I'm talking to Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer, you know, Bully, who's, you know, put through people through tables, has taken chair shots today. Tommy, you're the innovator of violence. And there you are saying, I won't take a buckle bomb. And what Bully said is is 100% right. Like, no one's ever won a match from the buckle bomb. It's just another move in an array of moves within a, the body of a match. So I ask you, is it time now to say, and I understand what you're saying, Bully, that, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of stupid shit in the ring, and they may have agreed upon it. Like, you know, Kari Sane and Nia Jax may have had the conversation before that match on Monday and said, all right, Kari Sane could have said, do it, and and it went awry. But should we now be talking about that being banned? Because cause it's not even just about the injury aspect. Now, to take it a step further, you have a lot of finger-pointing going on on social media. So, like... Bully, you did a wonderful job explaining the Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, where Finn Balor got that injury. A lot of people were pointing the finger of blame at Seth Rollins. You explained how that was completely the wrong way to look at that. Right now, a lot of people are pointing the finger of blame on Nia Jax. Is it worth doing the buckle bomb at all? Uh, Personally, I would never say to ban a move because that, to me... We are grown men and women in a very uh, physical, violent realm. Sports, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it. If I tell Tommy, Tommy, I want to give you a buckle bomb, it's up to Tommy to say yes or no. I've had people suggest moves to me, like guys will say, hey, Bubba, give me this move. And I'll be like, nope, I ain't doing it. And they're like, well, well, I'll take it. I'll protect myself. No, because I don't feel that I can execute it safely enough. I don't feel like I can do my 50% of the job safely enough so you can do your 50% of the job safely enough, which gives us 100% of a chance to execute the move the right way. There are certain things you just stay away from. So I think it's up to the individuals. Somebody's coming up to me. I don't care if AJ Styles comes up to me, who basically could take anything in the world. He goes, Bubba, give me a buckle bomb. Nope. Just don't want to do it. That's my take. I remember being afraid as can be by taking uh, AJ's uh, finish. And I was, dude, because I'm so much bigger than you. And I was like, how strong are you? And he's like, I probably would need you to be uh, on the, the turnbuckle. And that's what we did. And because it was AJ styles, I trusted him to do his finisher on me. And like, the only thing he said is don't tuck your chin, don't tuck your chin. Cause if you tuck your chin, you could break your neck. And we've seen that happen too. Um, this with the styles clash, you know, and one of his really good friends, Frank Kazarian friggin' almost died and St. Stevie Richards took it the wrong way too. But, and it's so weird and so like unnatural for that. Uh, it's I I don't think any move should be banned either. Uh, I hate that the pile driver is banned, which is probably uh, and the pile driver got banned after Steve Austin. But if you think about it, it wasn't the pile driver that broke Steve Austin's neck. It was the the what you call it driver, the sit out uh, driver that like Rikishi used to do. The Michinoku driver. Yeah, and it was just done. Uh, wrong. And, uh, I agree, but that move shouldn't be banned, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's risk versus reward. There's what's the big reward if you're not winning from it, or if the match isn't ending from it, I could see if it's a last man standing, the person hits, they go down and they can't get up from the buckle bomb. It helps get the severity of the move over. You're also, uh, and I've taken every stupid bump and I went from top of buildings and get thrown off. Me and Bubba have done a lot of stupid stuff. And you think about all the years of experience, especially with Bubba, putting people through tables, the 3D, uh, 
Bubba has probably put more people through tables uh, with that giant bomb or, you know, a power bomb. And think of this. He only dropped two people. Who are those two people, Bubba? Uh, Vince McMahon. And I don't remember who the other one is. <laughs> uh, Triple H. <laughs> No, but no, 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 no. That was a legitimate. My my arm went dead. I had a legitimate. I understand uh, that, but you still dropped two people, and it was a weird. Yeah. It was a weird thing. But think of the two people that you dropped, both on live television, because yeah, something went awry. Shit! Damn it! That's why they <laughs> killed my push. <laughs> why they killed my push? <laughs> because you were friends with me and I dropped them, so they killed you. And Devon's got a job. Oh my God, what is the world coming to? But wait, I just want to get back to a time you were saying about AJ. Dave, at Bound for Glory 2015, I knew I wanted to put AJ over in the middle of the ring with the Styles Clash. I couldn't take it. I was terrified of it because of what Tommy just said. To take the Styles Clash, you have to tell yourself to not tuck your chin. I've been tucking my chin for 25 years. Tommy has been tucking both of his chins for 25 years. It was so there I had to take it. So, I mean, you're telling me to try to remember to do something in the heat of battle. And I just I just didn't think I could do it. I had to be straight up with AJ. I'm like, I'm sorry. We got to use your secondary finish. Because sometimes the body just instinctually wants to protect itself. And that's what happens on the bubble bomb a lot. Guys or girls reach... And when you reach, things can go wrong. And like you said, the Styles Clash is the ultimate finisher of AJ Styles. The buckle bomb, as we've talked about a lot, is just another maneuver within the body of a match. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Impact Wrestling from last night, night number one of Rebellion. You with Rhino and special guest tag team partner Crazy Steve taking on OVE last night. How was it like starting off that show last night? Honestly, in a different scenario for you because it's the first of the Impact shows with no crowd. So what was that experience like for you, Tommy? Uh, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I loved uh, the studio aspect of it. And like I've said before, it doesn't matter if they're, you're at WrestleMania or if you're literally wrestling in front of no people. Uh, the show last night, from my own match to um, the main event, everybody works so, so hard. You know, uh, and there's like Kylie Ray and Kira Hogan tore it up. The tag match was great. My match was really, really good. And the main event with Sammy Callahan and uh, Ken Shamrock was, I really enjoyed it. And I love that it went from a regular wrestling match to that cinematic style that everyone's been experiencing with. And uh, there, it was scary to think about like, you know, what you're doing when you're driving, you know, to, 15 hours and you have all the time just to think about stuff and but every precaution was made and every single talent worked so so hard and it just was so so different but like very very proud proud of a locker room and uh it was the fact that you know we last night it was trending went all the way up to number 10 uh, outside of, you know, Gronk and Brady and the Bucks and milkshakes. And I always like to talk about milkshakes. <laughs> but um, the fact that it was trending was real, real cool. Because, uh, like, you know, what we all say, professional wrestling takes uh, – it's taken our mind off of what's going on in the world. And everybody works super-duper hard. The creative leading into that, which I was a part of as well, was different because a lot of different talents weren't going to be there for different reasons. But – for the next few weeks, you will see some really, really good wrestling, some really, really good storylines. And uh, kudos to Willie Mack and Ace Austin because, man, I was just thinking about their match. They tore it up in a straight-up great wrestling match, and Willie's now the new uh, X-Division champion. 
Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Willie Mack. And you mentioned that main event with Ken Shamrock uh, and Sammy Callahan, and it was like the cinematic piece, very similar to what we saw at WrestleMania uh, with um, Randy Orton and, and Edge. The reason I really loved what I saw last night, it didn't overstay its welcome. It was, it was roughly about like, I, I want to say like 10 minutes long, which I thought was the perfect amount of time for something like that. And I don't know, when you look at Sammy Callahan, you know, now it's very interesting with Sammy Callahan because I'm wondering, and you know this, Tommy, that even though he could be a bit of, you know, a piece of garbage, you know, there is a loyal fan base for Sammy Callahan, and I'm wondering if that's going to, with the way that match ended last night, if that could open up to a bit of a character change for Sammy Callahan down the road. Well, ever since Sammy has debuted as this hacker character, which uh, apparently someone on SmackDown really likes, and uh, AEW's got a hacker character as well, um, it's uh, he's going to be very, very motivated. If you watch him on social media, he's angry about uh, people copying his stuff. He's really angry about the SmackDown uh, hacker character because it's probably like, if you see it on Tuesday, you could see the same thing with a different person on Friday. So uh, it is interesting because nothing motivates somebody more than to show up somebody else for basically stealing your stuff. Tommy, um, when it came to the tapings you did and Rebellion, a uh, majority of the crew was there. Some of the crew was not there. Um, we've been in plenty of locker rooms to know that there's always scuttlebutt amongst the boys. How did the talent that was there feel about the talent that did not show up? Not one person cared in the sense of a lot of them understood. I mean, there's, there's a lot of the roster from Canada. Uh, they can't get in people from Mexico. They can't get in. Uh, every single talent was offered the option. Hey, if you want, you can stay home. And the people that were there, and, and you know this too, Bubba, it, and you'll see it in the next few weeks, it opens up the door for other talent to shine. And uh, like Crazy Steve, Crazy Steve uh, wasn't the first choice. When we were in New York, it was going to be somebody different. We lose New York, then it's going to be who else? I had picked somebody else who it was going to be. And I gave a list of these people that I want. And then it's like, okay, we're going to be in uh, here. Let's go to crazy Steve. And he knocked it out of the park and continued to knock it out of the park. There's uh, other talents that'll be on the show that haven't even worked for impact that everybody has stepped up. And it, you know, I don't want to say it's the, um, what is it? Wally Pip to severely date yourself, but, Wally Pipp was the Yankees' first baseman before Lou Gehrig stepped in, and then Lou Gehrig had the longest run of the Yankee. Um, so at, the business will always continue like that. I'll, I'll tell you the cooler thing. Uh, Impact sent a text message to every single person, group texts, about um, how's everybody feeling, just checking up on everyone. Everyone was feeling great. The amount of quickness to the responses was, I can't wait to do it again. Uh Feeling great. Thanks for checking up on me. There was more positive, and it really felt like a whole group of men and women came together. And that's why, like, the whole WWE thing that, that broke out there, too, uh, to me was just like, mm, this doesn't sound like it's, I don't want to say real to me, but from the positive feedback that everyone had in the experience and impact then how come there's not this positive experience going on in WWE where men and women are making, you know, obviously more money and going out that. So I was just like, man, something's, something's wonky with this whole WWE person. But uh, <clears throat> there, it was nothing but a positive experience. And that's why I was so proud of everybody uh, that we were trending and people were talking about it, it was because everybody works so hard. And I don't want to say under horrible conditions, it's just fear conditions. And Impact went above and beyond to make sure every single wrestler was safe every single day and yeah it was one hell of a show and i can't wait till next week uh another reason we wanted to have you on tommy and you're dressed for the occasion is the dark side of the ring last night with dino bravo um you know the one thing that i found really interesting is dino bravo's career before the wwe and what a monster baby face that he was and 
you know, piggybacking from a conversation that Bully and I had on the show yesterday that a lot of times when you go to the WWE, expect a character change. You're kind of just a spoke in a wheel. And I think Dino Bravo was definitely an example of that. Yeah. Uh, I also like, I had no clue his age um, as well as, you know, he was in great shape. Uh, I watched recently Dino Bravo's debut in the WWF. It was 1979 and he was leaner and he was that prototypical classic uh, Italian babyface, you know, and he was talking about Bruno, Dominic DiNucci, but he was this young upstart wrestler. And then, you know, I, I knew about his career f- through the magazines and he was, he was a gigantic star up there. Um, as always, you know, the whole territory's getting eaten up when all the talent's going to leave. So he goes to the WWE. He has a career. Hey man, he had a good career. The, uh, I remember, uh, what was it? Jacques Rougeau basically was just like, uh, he was limited in some of the things he did cause also cause of his age and you know, he was making good money. I, I love seeing all those old clips, you know, especially seeing a young Haku, uh, Rick Martel. Uh, the other thing I learned, I didn't know he was also the booker. So that has a big, uh, role of why you're such a big star. Um, but, uh, he was a talented, talented wrestler. Tommy, I was telling Dave earlier, I don't, I don't remember if we were talking pre-show or on the show. When it comes to Canadians in their professional wrestling, they take things really serious, especially in Montreal. That whole keeping yourself strong um, mentality, I always thought was a, a real big deal in Montreal. Did you ever feel that in, in your time in the business, or did you feel like they did business in a, in a much more traditional way? Oh, no, absolutely. And uh, I don't want to say it's pride. I mean, if you think about the Montreal screw job, Brett didn't want to lose in Montreal. And that's not Calgary, where he was from. So yeah, that was a, it was, it was always a different sense of, yeah, pride. And you'd always hear like the Rougeos or or Dino Bravo. uh, I can't lose up in Canada. Don't know. uh, That's not from my philosophy, but I guess it worked for them. But absolutely. I mean, you know, whenever I remember when they tried to recreate the Montreal screw job uh, with Undertaker and CM Punk, it didn't have the same flavor because neither of the guys were Canadian. You know, it's amazing because you hear a lot of stories about what wrestlers do once their career is over. It was pretty much a year after the date he retired that he lost his life. You know, obviously he got into a lot of shady things, maybe even before his wrestling career was over, but obviously after his wrestling career was over. And that's one of the things about Dark Side of the Ring is, you know, we talked about it with the Superfly Snooker episode. There's a lot of myths, a lot of legends about what went on, but there's not a lot of truth behind it. Same thing with Dino Bravo last night. Like, we didn't really accomplish anything. I mean, we we found out he was you know he was murdered in his home, but there's still a lot more questions and answers coming out of that episode last night. Yeah, uh, I felt it was sad uh, because you get to see his daughter, you get to see his wife, and that's what you know I had always heard about. And you know, these are the victims of this man's decision. Here's a girl who you know she talks about. I look at my son and I see my father. I wish he was here to play with. Um, that's the real crappy part. The other part is, yeah, it's still an open case. It will be an open case forever. Uh, if you're asking me from, you know, what I got out of it is pretty much what they said. Uh, it doesn't matter, I guess who did it, but he was involved in some, with some shady business, some mafiosa, as they like to say on the, uh, the show last night. And if you cross the wrong people for the same amount of money, you're going to get whacked, whether he was skimming uh, cigarettes and they talked about the natives or they talked about somebody came in, he knew it was going to happen and uh, he got whacked. So uh, I think that's it. And I don't think you'll ever find out who did it. I mean, it just stuff like that just unfortunately happens. There's no such thing as the mafia. That's why I said mafiosa, mafia. <laughs> what was it? Was it a subject that you think should have been taken at, on Dark Side of the Ring? Because when you look at, I think they set like it was 
an amazing debut episode of season two with Chris Benoit. And a lot of, like you said, there was a lot of closure with that episode with new Jack. I mean, I think it turned a lot of heads. A lot, it grabbed a lot of people's attention that episode, you know, with Superfly Snuka, you know, it was a little bit lopsided. I think a lot of people would think that after watching that episode, that it was very, very one-sided. Like, do you think that, uh, what did you think overall of the episode last night with Dino Bravo? Like I always say, this show is called Dark Side of the Ring. So they have to go and address the black clouds on the wrestling industry. Every industry has them. So uh, did I think, I liked, because it was kind of like a documentary of like a, one of any of those shows, you know, Cold Case, True, uh, True Detective Files, all those stuff that are, are on every single channel. Uh, is basically what that was and it involved wrestling. So um, was it, was it going to accomplish anything? Were we going to find out who the murderer was? Is there going to be a conviction? No. And uh, that's kind of how it was. And if you even listen to the wife, she was like, I don't really want to talk about this because I don't want to go back to those memories. Cause here's a young woman who lost her husband in their own home. And, you know, then has to be a single woman at 28 raising a daughter and, you know, the daughter has, of course, scars for no longer seeing, you know, her father. The, another sad thing is when she said, I didn't recognize my father. It was, yeah, because he got shot in the face seven times. But she recognized his hands because as a little girl, she realized she remembered how big her father's hands were. And, and that's not really a memory you want to have uh, of your father. So she thought of uh, happy thoughts. And, you know, it's life goes on for people when there's tragedies and that was a tragedy. And that's kind of what the dark side is for. And we wait to see next week. And next week, bully is going to be a doozy because it's Dr. D David Schultz. And obviously that uh, confrontation with John Stossel and that whole 2020 episode. I remember bully. We had Dr. D on twice on our show. And I remember the first time, you were like, okay, we're going to have Dr. Dion. You weren't really completely sold on it. We wound up doing like a 30-minute interview with Dr. D, David Schultz, and you were like, wow, that was really good. And then, you know, we, we pressed our luck, I guess, or I pressed my luck, and we had him on a second time. Second time around, not so good. I, I think it might have been a record for a three-and-a-half-minute interview on Busted Open. So I'm very interested what we're going to get next week with Dark Side of the Ring Bully. I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes. Um, I think I uh, echo the sentiment. You know, to say that Dark Side of the Ring started off so great with the Benoit episode, and we're talking about one of the most tragic things that ever happened, I think why we liked the Benoit episode is because it ended with hope. It ended with two of the people that were most affected by this tragedy that are still alive have come together and now can try to heal the wounds of the past so you at least felt good about the episode obviously the new jack episode was intriguing the brawl for all episode is intriguing having vince russo on to kind of try to you know talk his way out of what we wouldn't let him talk his way out of but then with the snooker and the Bravo episode, I was a little I was a little on the fence. More snow with the snooker episode. Because if you're gonna dredge up that past, there better be some kind of happy ending or a hopeful ending or some closure to the situation. That snooker situation is a scar that's been around for 30 years that they scratched at, and in my eyes, they reopened. A lot of wounds reopened for for the family of Nancy, for Tamina, Jimmy's daughter, I'm sure for his other children also, like, we couldn't put it to bed. So if we can't put it to bed, why even bring it up? Why? So some kid who, some kid who could open up the case file, who wasn't even born in 1983, could get himself over by, like, there, we don't know. There are no answers. This can't is not did not go to court. We would never get closure, whether it was a guilty or a not guilty. We would never be able to close the book on the Snooker story. So why, why pick at it? I, I that's the problem I had with that episode. 
Yeah, and like even last night with the Dino Bravo episode, and you know, there's a lot more fact based on what we saw than we could go back to last week with Jimmy Snuka. But I would have liked to have it a little bit more of, like you said, a hopeful ending. Like they mentioned the grandkids, and they mentioned you know the two doors. I would have liked to have seen some of those scenes where, hey, they've moved, they've picked up, they've moved on with their life. Obviously, she misses her father. Obviously, she misses her husband. You know, being a, like Tommy said, a single mom at 28. That's rough. But I would have liked to have seen that little glimmer of hope that we saw in one of the most tragic episodes of all in that first episode. But, you know, I'm I'm very intrigued by what we're going to see next week with Dr. D, David Schultz, Tommy. Always awesome having you on. And you and I have been taping a lot of specialty shows that you can hear at 9 a.m. Eastern time before Bully and I go live at 10. And when Mark goes live at 10 on Fridays, uh, Tommy, awesome job. Thank you so much. Thanks. And uh, real quick, I know uh, Dark Side signed for a third season and their first episode is the tragic case of Bully Ray and the Weight Watchers program. I'll see you guys later. Wow. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.